This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage, a special opening day edition of Philly's Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined by Director of Fun and Games. John Brazier. And Tom, I love opening day. This is my 28th. This is your probably 33rd. 33rd. Look at you keeping 33rd. count. 33rd. So between us, that's a long time. It is. And opening day is is like your birthday, Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve, any, any other holiday you can throw in there. Uh, love it. So I love it. And it's uh, and what's great this year, John, after the year we had, I mean, today is really the first day there's activity uh, down here in terms of like the offices and all that. There's been a lot of activity. We're going to get into that in a minute uh, on the getting the field and this ballpark prepared. But just for our offices and just seeing people we haven't seen in a while. And it's really cool that, you know, this place is alive again. And you know who's the happiest is uh, Jill Brazier because I am finally out of the house. She's like, please, go back to work, will you? So she's sick of me. I think my dog and daughter still love me, but uh, yes, opening day is the best. It was great seeing everybody. It's like a little reunion. Really, it's a reunion. I was going down the halls, popping into people's office, people I haven't seen in a, a year, yeah. uh, saying hi. So yeah, it's uh, awesome. A lot man. of fun. And you are going to be out of the house because we're going to get in 162 games this year, John. No, no doubt about it. Because um, we didn't have that last year, and why don't we bring in our guest? And he is kind enough to give us some time today because it is the busiest day of the year for our Director of Operations and Security, Sal DeAngelis. Sal, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I've never heard a theme song like that. I, that I was, was just great. Gonna, wait. Yeah. First of all, you were making you were making faces like you had never heard that theme song. Have you not heard our podcast? And this is Skip Denenberg too. We have a world class musician <laughs> that does our podcast. Do you have you heard a podcast that has a world class musician that does their theme song? Uh, yeah, I'm sure some of the uh, bigger podcasts have. Uh, no. have I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, Sal. You know, there's not a whole lot of them. Uh, Sal, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about. Uh, every, all the changes here at Citizens Bank Park and how we're keeping fans safe. Um, but first, let's just look back, if if you can, this past year. Um, you know, it's all behind us, hopefully now. But what what are your uh, you know what are you what are you going to take from this past year? You know, the one thing that I I've told somebody a few times is that um, the organization as a whole has been so resilient. We've done so many different things over the last year, even though we couldn't be in the office from Zoom workouts and and virtual meetings, but also our community involvement has been amazing. Uh, food drives, blood drives, uh, toy drives. We, uh, we did community testing in our parking lots early on in the pandemic. We were one of the first organizations in the city to, to do those drive-through testing. So the resiliency and the adaptability of this organization. Drive-through concerts we did. Drive-through concerts. We've done, we've, done, we've done a lot, even though 
the office has been closed. We've been fully engaged and have had, and had uh, whether it's virtual or in-person events here at the ballpark. Well, tell us, you know, back, I remember, you know, down in spring training, uh, watching Rudy Gobert, you know, the, the news that he's test positive, and next thing you know, the NBA shuts down, the NHL shuts down, and shortly thereafter, baseball shut down. As you in baseball or in, in stadium operations, talk, walk, walk us through when you knew that basically baseball was getting shut down and then what your job was at that point going forward. Because obviously you, you had a big part in everything that was going on from that point on. So I was in Florida at the same time, too, uh, at that second week of March. And I'm watching Rudy Gobert, and I'm seeing NBA games get canceled. And now all of a sudden, people aren't high-fiving, shaking hands, nothing. And it's, and it's weird. I called my mom, and I said, listen, I don't know what's going on in the world right now. Stay home for a couple of days. That was 13 months ago. Okay? So Ugh. I got on the plane the next day. I was scheduled to come home anyway. And it was the first time I saw somebody use a Clorox wipe on a plane seat. And I'm, I'm like, what is going on? truthfully, the first thing I thought of was the leadoff walk that we normally do on opening day. And I'm thinking of all the interaction that our players have with our fans and then, and then our staff have with our fans at that point. And I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea to do this year. And we started talking through those plans because at that point we were still playing baseball. Uh, and then within 48 hours, all sports were canceled. Wow. And it, but then you have to go back and deal with MLB, with the city, the state, you know, come up with protocols and, and guidelines that our players and coaches, once the season was going to resume. Right. So if you remember, initially, baseball took a two-week pause is what it was. Uh, Commissioner Manfred came out and said, baseball suspended for two weeks and we'll reassess. Well, two weeks became until late July when we, when we finally resumed. But we were in constant contact uh, with not only Major League Baseball, our partners in the sports complex, we talk with the Eagles and Comcast Spectacor almost every day, and our contacts at the Philadelphia Department of Public Health at that point. And just trying to navigate those early days of the pandemic and what you should be doing, what you should be cleaning, what you should be wearing, things like that. It was, we were learning a lot uh, rather quickly. And uh, did you communicate much with the other Major League Baseball teams, some of your counterparts and the other teams? Yes, we have a, a pretty good network, uh, not only within uh, Major League Baseball, but other sports and entertainment industry, uh, sports and entertainment partners around the country. And we were constantly, even to this day, uh, talking about best practices, what works, what doesn't work, what's innovative, what technology is out there. And it's a, it's a pretty good network group. Everybody's, uh, everybody's evolving, constantly evolving, adapting, and uh, we're all stealing from each other, yeah. our, our ideas. I mean, None of us invented anything. We're all borrowing each other's ideas. I thought one of the cool things we did, you know, back then was uh, summer camp, which was right over. FGR I mean, Park. yeah. The, could you ever imagine, Sal, that we'd have basically spring training again, part two, but in FDR Park, you know, uh, right here in South Philly? How, how crazy was that kind of getting staff and players and everybody over there? And well, when they first said that spring training is going to be held at your home site, like, Okay, sounds easy. We have, a, we have a ballpark. And then you start thinking about what we have in Clearwater. Four fields, a stadium, a half field, multiple locker spaces for dozens of players. We don't have that here. So we had to get creative. And one of the things we did was we set up fields, which we, we've already had, two major league caliber fields at FDR Park. And we would bus our players every day back and forth between Citizens Bank Park 
and FDR. And wasn't Joe Girardi a big part of that? Like Joe saw those fields and said, this is perfect. So we, right? to, we told Joe about these fields in the beginning of summer camp. So late June, I guess this was. And we said, Joe, you got to go over and see. We did a walkthrough, just a few of us over at FDR Park. And he FaceTimed with Tom's and said, take a look at this. And they're like, yeah, this will work. And we started the process at that point, and we had summer camp over at FTR Park. And it's so funny, like because if the fans didn't really know about it. We didn't publicize it because again, we, we don't want we didn't want a huge crowd because no, of the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like I I work security. I'm, I know you were out there. It's just you know we didn't know what to expect. And here here you have major league fan or players yeah. that are out on like again a park right that's open. Yeah. And some of the fans figured it out, but then not not a lot. I I would assume more people would have figured out that we were out there. You know what was funny was was really telling. Uh, the first week of summer camp was Fourth of July weekend, and FDR Park usually right. bustling with barbecues and people throwing the football around and just just hanging out, family reunions. All of that happened, and the. Baseball summer camp happened too, and really went kind of like it Pretty wasn't like spring training though, like where yeah. a lot of it's like a pilgrimage to Clearwater. Right. Everybody was cool about it. I mean, people still had their barbecues and they were playing games and things. Like that. Yeah. And here and there's we were doing Bryce Harper hitting bombs, <laughs> right. and uh, you know, right? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and then things moved over here, uh, Sal. How weird was it for you? Uh, you know, last year without fans in in the stands. I'll put it in the perspective for you. Today's opening day here with 8,800 fans, and I. Got here around 5 a.m. Last year for opening day, I may have rolled in around 9. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was still a lot to do, but it, but it, wasn't, it wasn't the same atmosphere. This year's amazing. I mean, it's, it's great knowing that fans are coming back. Uh, we're going to have them in the ballpark watching. Um, it's, it's really exciting right now. All right, talk about so fans that are coming today and, and are going to be starting to come in uh, this season. Talk about what fans can expect, some of, the, some of the protocols, some of the initiatives we've done to make this place a very safe, family-friendly uh, venue. Uh, a lot of what we're doing, you, you've seen in your everyday life, at the, at the grocery store, at the shopping malls, where, wherever you've gone. Our number one mantra at this point is to mask up. Every fan that comes into the ballpark, we want them to wear a mask over their nose and their mouth, except for when they're eating or drinking in designated areas. That's, that's number one. We've been talking about physical distancing now for uh, the last year. We've created, with both of your help, we've created physically distanced seating pods in the ballpark by zip-tying over 30,000 seats uh, in the ballpark. So we have seating pods that are now six feet away from the closest fan. Uh, and, and that goes throughout the ballpark, too. You'll see the floor decals. And they're in pods of two, four, and six. Uh, we have some threes and fives, too. Threes and fives, okay. Yeah, a, a few. Um, but you know, you'll see those social distance markers all throughout the, uh, throughout the stadium as well. So, you know, er things you see in your everyday life, you're still going to see here. But the one message I want to say is even though we have some restrictions, we have these, uh, COVID restrictions, this is still going to be a fun place to watch a baseball mm -hmm. game. 8,800 people isn't 45,000 people. I get it, but I'll take these 8,800 any day. And we're going to have a clean team that's going before, during, and after, right? That sure. I, our cleaning program since the beginning of the pandemic has been very robust. Uh, Spectra, our facility manager, obviously took this very serious from the beginning. But now that we have fans in the ballpark, we're adding thousands of people in here. We've uh, devised a clean team, uh, which will be in, in highly visible uh, uniforms, and they will be constantly cleaning. When I got in at, like I said, 5 o'clock this morning, they were cleaning. They were in the seating bowl cleaning seats. 
and that continues now. That'll continue pregame, in-game, and post-game. Oh, awesome. And uh, parking, uh, I know you mentioned getting in here and getting out. It will probably be a little easier now for fans, uh, but also no tailgating, right? Yeah, I know tailgating is a way of life in this city. I mean, I'm from Philadelphia, so I know, I know how important it is. But right now, because of the congregative setting, it's, it's prohibited. Uh, it'll come back someday. Uh, just not in the immediate future. Well, and I know you are in communication with the city, the state, uh, and I know there's no definite plans, but what do you think in terms of as the season moves along, do you think some of these restrictions might um, be lifted? Do you think we will have more fans uh, eventually? I know that's the question everybody's asking. but Look, the only way that restrictions are going to get lifted is if everybody plays by the rules. Everybody wears their mask. Uh, When they're eligible for a vaccine, they take it. And cases drastically drop. Once we start seeing that, especially in the tri-state area, then restrictions will probably be lifted slowly. We're not going to go from zero to 100. I mean, right now we're at like five miles an hour with, with what we're doing. And we're going to eventually increase those capacities as cases go down and vaccines go up. All right, Sal, let's move away from the pandemic. But I do have a couple questions for you. One of your, uh, one of your jobs is oftentimes we'll have – uh, prominent politicians, we'll have rock stars, we'll have actors, we'll have other, and they need security coming in, you know, the, obviously the bigger the star, the bigger the personality. Tell us some of the, uh, some of the fun uh, personalities, whether it's some of your fa- personal favorites, and then if you have any anecdotes around some of the people that you brought in, because again, we've had tons of concerts here, you know, where you've had to make sure you're, you're dealing with them coming in. We, we've had all walks of life. So tell us some of your favorites throughout the years. I mean, the most notable one we had in, when he was vice president was uh, President Biden. Uh, we had him here um, for the first time. We actually had Dr. Biden here for the first time during the 08 World Series. And if you remember, the next month was the election. So she already had a Secret Service detail assigned to her. And what was funny is her tickets were directly next to my mom and my brother. Hmm. Same row, right next to each other. And when we were doing the walkthrough, I'm, I said, oh, well, where the tickets to the Secret Service, and they pull them out, and they say, okay, this is where we're going. And I happen to have my mom and my brother's tickets in my pocket for the next night, and I look at them, and I go, oh, we, we have a, a small issue. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my brother is a, an educator. He's a principal. Dr. Biden, obviously, he looks up to her for Absolutely. her. And, and I call him, and I said, listen, don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see you on the news. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, There's snipers on the and, roof. And, and what's funny is they, <laughs> they struck up a conversation and, and talked about education and the Phillies. And we, when you know, Brad Lidge strikes out Hinsky at the, at the end, those two are hugging. Oh, after, that's awesome. After the game. That's great. So it was, it was, it was really cool. Is, now, there, is there any celebrity that you were a big fan of that you had to escort around or guide through? Um, you know, none really come to mind. I'm a, I'm a big Beatles fan. We had McCartney here, and, and I've been in the same uh, room as him. The, the coolest, the coolest thing that has ever happened to me at the ballpark is I'm a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan. We had Art Garfunkel, yes. uh, sing yeah, at yeah. Veterans Stadium several, several times, yeah. it, and he sang here as well. So it, it was Veterans Stadium. I was still a young employee with the Phillies. I think he was singing the anthem or God Bless America on, anthem, o- yep. on opening day. And they said, okay, Sal, uh, our car is coming at a certain time. Make sure he gets in. Okay, no problem. Huge fan, but I'm keeping my composure. He gets in. I, I bring him to the media room. And he's like, okay, thank you. And I turn around to leave, and he starts singing the national anthem. It's me, 
and Art Garfunkel in the room. Nice. And he's just singing the national anthem. Wow. So I acted like I was rearranging the chairs in there <laughs> real yeah. quick. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm not passing this up. Oh, I got a right, private concert right. from Art Garfunkel. <laughs> I'm, and I started setting up the chairs. And he finished like, okay, have a nice day. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, as you know, we're yeah. both huge uh, music fans. And, and John and I were backstage with Art, yeah, hanging out in his dressing room. So and Art Garfunkel, I guess uh, I met him through I think WXPN and invited him to come out and but the, one of the coolest things for me is probably it's probably about how long ago was that Tom about six years ago five, yeah it's about right. six years yeah, ago yeah. he came down to spring he was performing in Clearwater and as Tom mentioned we went and saw him but before that we had a uh, one o'clock game at uh, in Dunedin against the Blue Jays and he wanted to go to the game so I sat with him uh, T Mac was sitting right behind us so the three of us watched an entire game. He was asking me, now I've met him several times before, and but I didn't really want to, you know, you, you don't want to violate, you don't want to ask him too many, like, inside rock and roll questions. You, you got to be cool. In, in a past. Yeah. But that day, you got three hours at a baseball game with him, and he starts asking me all kinds of inside baseball questions. What's this guy like? What's this? You know, that's, so I said, you know what? I'm taking this opportunity. So next thing you know, for three hours, I was I was asking every question I wanted to ask, and he was very open talking about the Beatles. He, uh-huh. you know, he was talking about he, one one story is he said that um, he went over to uh, to John Lennon. I guess he was with John Lennon, and John said, "Hey, how are, how are you dealing with your Paul? I'm having some issues with my <laughs> with my Paul." Wow, that's that's a great yeah. line. And then I guess uh, when Paul he was at Paul McCartney's house, and Paul McCartney was playing. Lady Madonna on his uh, piano, and he said, "Do you play?" Art said, "Do you play all the uh, all the piano, uh, so- all the piano versions of, of the songs?" And he looked at him, and he just started banging out furiously, "Lady yeah. Madonna." And then he had, he finished and looked at me and said, "Yes, I did." <laughs> so yeah, I was and, he, and he was a huge baseball fan. Huge yeah, baseball could you fan. think of him as being like a New Yorker? And and uh, but his favorite player was Robin Roberts. Uh, growing yeah, and up. he loved the colors of the uniform. Yeah, love the colors, <laughs> and then it's so funny. He was such a fan. Uh, he he would call John. He, John saved one of his messages, and uh, yeah, he he's like, really- "Tom, come into my office." And he goes, "You got to got to listen to this." And our it, we had just made, you know, I think we had lost like our tenth game in a row. Yeah, we were you know, bullpen pen was imploding. This was a f- number of years ago, and uh, his message is, "Hello, John. This is Art." Do you take me as a chump? <laughs> yeah, Am I a chump? Why would you put that pitcher in in the eighth <laughs> inning when <laughs> I have the email at some point? <laughs> no, it was a voicemail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was classic. Oh, uh, that's crazy. But, but I, resp- I responded. No, it was an email. I have the email. I thought it was. I you played me a voicemail oh, well, then, where he was he, irate. I, I think he also left a voicemail. <laughs> but the email I wrote him back and I, I said I wrote this long diatribe. I mentioned our minor league system. Don't give up hope. The future is there. I know there's this is an anomaly. Blah blah blah. And at the very end, I said, to quote Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> and I quoted one of the lines from the boxer. You know, at the very end, it said, but the fighter still remains. There you I, go. And I said, keep up the fight. No response. I don't know if, no Art, response. I don't know if yeah. Art really liked that. He was not <laughs> happy response. with that managerial decision back then. But uh, uh, I know when you get the call that, oh, it's Joe Biden or uh, you know somebody with Secret Service is going to be here, it does make life a little harder, right, Sal? It does. And. We had um, we had two rallies in the parking lot this year, and even though they were outside the ballpark, it was it was full on Secret Service here at the ballpark. So the first first a couple of weeks before the election, we had Obama uh, at a at a rally in our parking right lot. right in the parking lot, right? Right, and you know it's a little different because he's a former president. His Secret Service level um, at that point isn't as high, uh, but then Kamala Harris came and did a uh, a rally in the parking lot two days 
before the election, and we were on full lockdown yeah. at that point. Um, it was, and it's, I'm always interested when you know, with the Secret Service and, and how they how they move and how they set up and, and do different things. I wouldn't say full lockdown. What, what, what's that mean? Like uh, traffic, uh, you had to block street, traffic? Sure. And, I, mean, I mean, street closures, it's, mm. it's uh, canine and bomb squad on site. It's full Philadelphia police, Secret Service. Uh, we had hold rooms inside the ballpark. And if, if you remember during the rally, uh, and we held the, um, the uh, principals inside the ballpark, we had, not only did we have Kamala Harris, we had John Legend and Chrissy Teigen, Right. In the ballpark, we had Common here. I mean, everybody was performing. At the, so we, we had multiple um, movements of celebrities in the ballpark. They, you know, nobody knew that they were inside our ballpark because everything was outside. Our stage was outside, and we just moved them pretty fluidly. Yeah, and how, how many did we have for that? Any idea? Like how many people? We had a few thousand yeah. for each one, and they were all uh, drive-in rallies. Drive-in, yeah. right? Yeah. But then when you have bands that come in here uh, that are performing – they have their own security, but you're working in conjunction with their security. Yeah, so typically, and we get some of the biggest acts in the country here, whether it's Billy Joel, Elton John. Yeah, the Who was here in 2019. I mean, we've had some great acts over the years. And the Fanatics performed with some of those acts. Absolutely. Well. Billy Joel sang into his The Fanatics snout. gotten kicked off stage uh, by the best of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they, they come in with their own security. So one thing that we always try to do, and, and I work with closely with Kevin Beal, is we try to establish a, a rapport with the bands prior to them coming here. So before they come here, there's no surprises. They know who the, the, the major people are in Philadelphia that they'll be dealing with. So if they have any questions, they can, they can come to us. We've had great relationships. Now, lost, lasting relationships with, with security directors for the guys from Billy Joel and Jason Aldean. Jimmy and Buffett. Jimmy Buffett and yeah. uh, McCartney. I mean, so we make sure that we work in conjunction with them. We know that we have great security practices here at the ballpark. And we tell them, listen, we, we've got this place set. What do you need? And it usually uh, makes for a good relationship. Have you ever had to take out the green M&Ms uh, somebody's, uh, <laughs> in the dressing room? room? Yeah, you got to have a story. One story. I know you, you got to. Sal's a professional, John. And he's not going to tell all the st- all the. But there's probably one guy who's like, you know what, really? We had, um, <laughs> we had the Eagles here. Okay. Um, High years, maintenance. A few years back, they they were their their crew was great, nice. great to work with. We met with them. I forget what city we met with them first, but couldn't have been happier that we reached out to them and wanted to make their life in Philadelphia good. But but Don Henley has some requirements. Yes. And uh, one was that day's newspaper. I think it was the Wall Street Journal, and an actual phone, like a landline. Hmm. Like they, you, know, you push buttons on. Like yeah. he had to have this certain phone, and he's interesting because he reads the Wall Street Journal front to back every day, and if he finds errors or, or omissions in the paper, he calls the editor. Is that right? Yeah. Does he say he's Don Henley? <laughs> I, I'm assuming he does. Right. Yeah. I, I love the I love the fact that you're airing uh, dirty laundry. Oh, <laughs> nice, John. Uh, Don Henley. Right well, there. hey, listen. I what think, a great concert, though. Yeah, yeah a great uh, concert. Love the Eagles. And I think for the the members of that band, they, and uh, they each get like a million bucks every time they step onto a stage, no matter where. Like it's pretty. Even you know, Timothy B. Schmidt. Even Timothy B. Schmidt's uh, right. making a million. Do you get the sense, Sal, that uh, John and I are such rock guys and music guys that uh, they l- like Citizens Bank Park as a venue, whether it's acoustically or just the setup or, or anything like that. I'll be honest with you. I think it's, I think it's the personnel in this building that keep mm. bringing people back. 
I mean, it's not just Kevin Beale and I. It's it's the rest of the guys in our department. It's Spectre. It's Aramark. It, you know, the fanatic. <laughs> the fanatic when he's not getting thrown off stage. <laughs> <laughs> but but you guys make it easy. And we make it yeah, e- we yeah. make it easy. Listen, we can't do everything, but if they have requests, we we talk it out, and if, if we can make it happen, we do. Nice. Have have you and, and one of the last questions? But have you ever had security issues with the fanatic? Have you had some issues with the green guy? You know, sometimes wow. the green guy doesn't exactly uh, follow a script, right, yeah. right. and you know he might just be at the concert that night and say, "Oh, I think it's a good idea to run on the stage, and nobody knows about it." Yeah, that's happened the, at the, least once. At least once. Yeah. Billy Billy Joel uh, a couple times, and the last time it happened, uh, the fanatic just decided, "Hey, I'm I'm already at the concert. Let me just yeah, uh, go down." You're theoretically bigger than Billy Joel, right? The fanatic. So, so I was with the fanatic, fanatic as being his friend, of course. But uh, he goes down and uh, he's ready to go out into the front row, down the truck ramp, right into the front row in front of the stage, and uh, you know, security guys are, whoa, whoa, whoa. And uh, and I'm with the fanatic. Uh, what's what's wrong? It's the fanatic. He's been to Billy Joel concerts before. And he's like, oh, you got to talk to. And it was a, f- a female Sal. I, I don't know her. I don't. Okay. I forget her name. But you got to go see so and so. So uh, one of the other security guards takes the fanatic up the truck ramp where they have a tent. They always have the tent set up for security and, and all that right at the top of truck truck ramp. And uh, fanatic goes up. This woman whirls around. And she just looks at the fanatics like, what now? <laughs> you didn't try to bribe her with a bottle so, of red and a bottle so of white? What, what now? And, and I'm like, oh, uh, the, the fanatic is a big fan of Billy Joel. And, uh, you know, he was just going to go down in the front row and wave to Billy during one of the songs. And it's like, uh, uh, no. Fun, no, she actually green lit it and made sure the security guy was with the fanatic. And we went down and it was, uh, not, you, you may be right. It was a good upbeat yeah. tune. Right. And, uh, Billy looked down from his piano and was laughing, and then he went into a, uh, I think she's always a woman, or like a really slow song. That was like the Fanatic's cue yeah. to, you know, let's get out of here. Sense of, the Fanatic's sense of timing is not exactly great at concerts, especially uh, Bruce Bruce. <laughs> yeah, Murder Incorporated <laughs> was the song. It, it, it didn't play well. No. But uh, Sal, Sal, we've already kept you 25 minutes and 37 uh, seconds. That's so like, That's uh, like 24 minutes too long. <laughs> I know. Well, can I ask him one last question? Go ahead. Because the Fanatic streaks once a year. Like, do you, do you ever as, as security kind of think that, that maybe you should go out there and grab him? <laughs> that <Hey, one>. <laughs> 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 For somebody, <laughs> right? Does this panic ensue in your department, you know, when, when the fanatic's out there streaking? I, n- I never know what time he's going to do anything. He had a he had a 626 <laughs> interview this morning. At the, at the What time do you think he showed up at the store for a 626 interview? Well, I knew he was here at 1.30 in the morning because he got his shoes stolen. Six, 625 <laughs> and 30 seconds he hey. rolled up to the store. <laughs> Hardest working mascot in the business, right. boys. Hey, but you mentioned, uh, since we have you, it's a great security question. When a guy does, when an idiot does run onto the field, I think everybody yeah, always can wonders. You, can you say idiot again? <laughs> it's truly an idiot. It really, it's, it's the dumbest thing. But when they're, when they do it, Sal, and everybody wants to know this, when they grab that guy, what, after they tune him up a little, no, I know there's no tuning <laughs> up. Oh, but, <laughs> but no, Sal, what does happen to a guy who jumps onto the field? Like, uh, I know we say they get prosecuted, right? I mean, yeah. there's a fine, there's, there's all that, right? I mean, listen, it, it happens in every major league park. It's yes. a little harder now because we have netting throughout the, yeah, throughout yeah. the ballpark. But people don't realize that when somebody runs onto the field, you don't know what their intent is. Right. Correct. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, they're maybe have had too much to drink. Maybe they bet their friend that they could do it, and they just want to run around and and get the pictures for or the video for YouTube. You don't know in today's day day and age 
what their intent well, is. Monica Sellis. Monica Sellis, uh, yeah. Ron Artest. I mean, there's been plenty of people that right. have been on the yeah. courts or uh, wherever. But you don't know what their intent is. So we take it extremely serious. Once they're handcuffed by the Philadelphia police, they're taken to the police room. And, and a lot of times they think, oh, I'm just going to get a ticket. They go to jail. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, weekends are very busy at hospitals and jails. Uh, they go on a Friday, they might not get out till Monday. So it is something that yeah. we take extremely okay. serious. See, John, don't ever do yeah. it again. But the fanatic escapes security. <laughs> yeah. on the fanatic, uh, he, allu- he eludes security every time. <laughs> he's, so, he's wily, that fanatic. He's wily. Yeah. Uh, Sal, really appreciate you. Uh, you uh, sure? I could do another spend, half hour. No, if you no, you got to get out of here. Uh, and by the way, since we have you, uh, since John and I, you know, aren't the hardest working guys uh, in the building, uh, you know, we, we see you, you know, you're, you were outstanding this year. Thank you. you had to deal with a lot of stuff. And uh, John and I would have crumbled and been in the fetal position in the corner if we had to deal with what you had to deal with this year. I, so great job. I, I actually saw John a few times in that position. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I got back up. <laughs> you, uh, there's always fight the fighter, right? <laughs> exactly right. Sal, thanks for joining thanks, us. Sal. Go out there and, uh, hey, happy opening day to you, pal. Good to see you guys. All right, All right Sal. You, Sal. All right, there he goes. Sal DeAngelis. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend. You know, the, the problem with Sal, you know, he's so used to going Chickies and Pete's. And, they, you know, they've been, they were closed for a long time. And I know, uh, thankfully, they're reopened. So Sal can uh, take that bar, that bar uh, stool that he has right at Chickies and Pete's with there his name go. on it. And uh, he's back. He's yep. back. And, uh, and you know what, Tom? So we mentioned that. This is my 28th opening day, your 33rd. There's a lot of fun opening day memories, right? I was going to ask you, John, as our segue into opening day, it's going to be a little word association, and it's just two words. Okay. When I say opening day, what's the first thing that pops into your ma- uh, mind? Well, <laughs> I think it's several things. Because, well, first of all, first I, thing. The first thing. If you were in a psychiatrist's well, office and I said opening day. Well, as, as a fan, I'd say kite man. Yeah, that's I would, good. Because yeah. I think of opening day with all that, and we had Bill Giles on, obviously, yes. uh, several weeks back. But I think of all those crazy stunts. Um, we're, we're two peas in a pod, John, because that's it. When, when I think opening day, I think those crazy first ball deliveries. And I, I know when I was a kid, uh, I, my first game was 1971, opening day of Vet Stadium, and Irish Mike Ryan yeah. caught the ball out, out of the helicopter. helicopter yeah. I remember it. And, of course, you remembered the Vet. You know, I was five and a half years old, so it's like, you know, this big, huge building, the green ash, the turf, the cool yellow, orange, brown seats, uh, the dancing water fountain. So all those things I remember. And in terms of first balls, like a year or two later, uh, I think maybe it was either just after the Kite Man or before the first Kite Man, but they had Rocket Man. Yep. They had the guy with the jet, jet propelled backpack. Yeah. Yes. And I wasn't there like a Gilligan's Island, like they were going to get <laughs> off the island right. with the, the guy with the jet came pack. up with that scheme. <laughs> yeah. He I'm couldn't sure. build a boat, John, but he could build a, right. a rocket. I'm sure Gilligan messed it up somehow. <laughs> yeah, he did. But I'll never forget, we always sat in the 700 level. And my boy, Rocket Man, you know, he, he comes in with the first ball. He, like, lifts from the outfield. And he was doing, like, he was yeah, whipping circles, around yeah. circles. And he was, like, as high as, like, the 700. Like, the guy, like, whipped right past us, you know. And so as a kid, it's, you know, you're so impressionable. And those those first ball deliveries, again, well, I, we, I'm with you. That's and we brought some of those back in the 90s. I started yeah. in 94. Yes. And I remember we had, uh, we brought a lot of those back. We brought uh, Benny the Bomb. Yeah. Remember Benny the Bomb? We had Benny the Bomb who would get himself into a box in the middle of the field 
and uh, and he would blow himself up, and then yes. you know, right out of, right out of a you know Roadrunner uh, <laughs> you know uh, cartoon, he would come out of there all black soot, everything smoke coming off him, and everyone would cheer once he kind of gave the arms up, yeah, and he's okay. It's classic, right? And you went. In, in 1996, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of the vet, and uh, they asked the fanatic, of course I went up there with them, to go up in the helicopter and be the one to throw yeah. the, heli- the the ball to Irish Mike Ryan. We, we recreated, you know, uh, the first ball, the first first ball. And, uh, John, I got to tell you, I was with the fanatic. We loaded them down by the river where the uh, the helicopters are, down on the Delaware River. We go up. We had to circle a little bit, like, uh, around Philadelphia for the queue. You know, it was time, you know, for the helicopter yep. to come over. So just that was cool and seeing all the cars, you know, 60,000 people for opening day. And then I got to tell you, to come over the in a helicopter over the lip of that stadium as it, you know, it was just lit up. And <laughs> and then looking down and seeing Irish Mike, right. who looked like an ant, you know, the fanatic had to um, throw like a curveball, like he had to put a spin on it so it wouldn't like flutter in the yeah. wind. It would maybe go a little straighter, but uh, yeah, just we, we awesome. also had Cannon Man, if you remember Cannon Man. Oh sure. And I did a practical joke on the um, <laughs> the poor producer for Don Cannon's radio show. Remember he was on WGL <laughs> for a long time. I uh, I made it seem that. Uh, Don Cannon was going to be shot out of the cannon, you know, <laughs> cannon man. He was going to be cannon man. That and she and I made it so it was really serious. And I wrote on there. I said, make sure that Don wears a flame retardant uh, outfit and make sure he doesn't put hair gel in his hair because it'll affect the, you know, this and that. I made this long email, detailed email. And she, uh, I remember that she called me back. She said. Well, did you get this approved? Are you sure Don, Don Cannon agreed to it? I said, "Oh yeah, we talked." You know, <laughs> so yeah, so Cannon Man, and uh, well, do you remember we had? It was one of those uh, years where we wanted to kind of do an extravaganza. I forget what what year, but it, remember we had. Um, it was a crazy promotions meeting. We said we got to get everybody together. We yeah, need it was to probably get, an anniversary or yeah, something. We, were, we yeah. need Rocket Man and Cannon Man, and then remember we, we we were trying to figure out what we could do and. I saw on the news that some a guy in South Jersey, uh, I think, hurt his hand or had his hand blown off. Yes. By in a fireworks accident, and how he he was going to be the first ever hand transplant. He's a big Phillies fan, and he was so I I looked at that and I said we ought to get that guy to throw out the first pitch, right? It'd be and and that was the same day we were going to have Cannon Man or no Rocket Man. And we we're going to have Kite Man, Kite if you Man. remember, yes. right? Yes. So he was going to be the party. He was going to actually, they were all going to do their stunts, then give it to. Give it to. To, uh, <laughs> to that gentleman. To Hand Man. <laughs> to Hand Man, <laughs> who was going to throw out the pitch, right? Yes. So do you remember this? So it, all of a sudden, it, it grew. Yeah. Because this guy Became was a on story. Good Day America. Or Good, Good Morning Mor- America. Good Morning America yep. and yep. all the Today Show and all that. And so it became a huge, huge story where. Yeah. The first, know, first recipient. Ever hand transplant. Yeah, sure. So, so I. I guess somehow um, I never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? <laughs> so I, 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 I'm going to give myself an excuse, but it's not really an excuse. I think I said that uh, <laughs> that uh, I told the cameras because they asked why we picked him, and I said, well, I saw in the news article that he he I knew he had a son. I said he wanted to, uh, his dream was to get his hand attached again so he could have a catch with his son. And I think I told the story so much that I believed it was true. 
And then I went back in articles, and I, and I was like, you know what? That wasn't – I think I that came yeah, out Didn't the guy air. say, you know, I never really – this was never really my dream, but <laughs> so, thanks for giving like, me the opportunity. So I remember he flew in, and all the national cameras were getting him, you know, before opening day. To, yes. and, and the first question was, hey, and it was your dream to – you know, I, I hear it was your dream to throw out the – you know, to have a catch with your son. And I remember being there in the airport <laughs> going, oh, God, please. This was, this was my dream. I said, please, yeah, please, please play along. This is my dream. <laughs> and I think he – he had this kind of befuddled look on his face, and he just went along with it because I guess yes. he, he probably thought I did say it somewhere, and so he said, uh, "Yes, it w- was my dream." And I was like, "Whoo, <laughs> John!" I remember that, and I la- and you you were kind of new, uh, and uh, the the show Spin City was on uh, in that time period. I remember, and I'm like, "Ah, this John Brazier guy, he's like he's like Michael J. Fox in Spin City, you know?" Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> Rocket Man had to give it to Kite Man. Kite Man's gonna fly down and give it to Hand Man. I guess that's what you call, and I. I got to tell you, he was nervous in the, yeah. in the dugout. And I said, and I, I was nervous. And I said to the guy, and as a super guy, I said, hey, I said, you think you're nervous? Like, you know, I, a lot of us are in charge of basically, we got a guy in a jet-propelled backpack that's going to fly up to the upper level, give it to a guy who's on a hand glider who's going to, you know, glide down. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about those guys. So <laughs> there's a lot of us that are nervous right now. You're the least of our worries. Hey, and it, it all worked out, John. I, mean, I remember that was on the front page everywhere, you know, the, the first-hand uh, transplant recipient throughout yeah. the first pitch. But you've had some missteps uh, in your career, and, and um, sometimes we turn to you because you're, you know, you like music and you're, you have your finger on the pulse, or, or so we thought. Um, well, I'm not sure if it's the same <laughs> same one, but there's two there's two things. It was 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 Huffamoose. Huffamoose. Yes, we and were looking Luke, for and Luke Perry. Was that the same year? <laughs> were they the same year? I'm not sure. Oh, that was a double whammy. Well, but, uh, well, okay. We'll, we'll go Huffamoose first. First of all, I love music, and I knew I had a lot of connections with the radio, record label people, and um, radio people. And Huffamoose was a band from Philadelphia that was just cut an album and. Every one of my buddies said, these guys are going to be huge. They're from Philadelphia. And I really like the band. I still love the band to this day. I saw them actually about a couple of years ago. At They're Art, still around, at huh? Ardmore Music Hall. Yeah, they How about great. that? Um, I remember Scott Rowland was a fan. There was a lot of people that loved Huffman. So I said, uh, and it's probably because of the name of their band. I, I, said, th- I said, I've got this band. That they're going to be huge. We're going to they're going to sing national anthem on opening day. We're going to be counting our stars that we had got them at this time. And so opening day, Huffman sang the national anthem, did a great job. And then I guess they petered out at some point. And I for I guess again because of the name because I still think they're a very good band. Um, I heard forever, oh, Huffamoose, oh, that, that, that was my, we used to give, if you remember, there was a, an award called the Dickie Turtleneck Award. Dickie Turtlenecks were big, I guess, for about two months in, sometime in the 80s. Yes, and we and gave so it away. You had it, yep. so we had a big plaque, and there was, yep. a, there was a bronze Dickie Turtleneck, and we used to give the Dickie Turtleneck Award to the worst promotion, whoever had the worst idea for a promotion. Um, <laughs> If they were still doing that award, I would definitely have. I'm sure I probably am on that <laughs> plaque for that. But again, I'll stand true that I still think that Huffmoose is a very good band. But also, we had Luke Perry. Now, Luke Perry, Sharon Pinkinson, who's head of the Greater Philadelphia Film Office, she told me that Luke Perry, this is probably like 96 or so, 95, 96, Luke Perry, fresh off his Beverly Hills 90210, um, he was filming a pilot about a Philadelphia-based sports agent that was going to be on a major network, and he was filming the pilot in Philadelphia. Same thing. It's like, get it when it's hot. You know, this is going to be a big show. And Luke Perry was a big name, Yeah. right? 
So we had Luke Perry throughout the first pitch on opening day. We were team was terrible, and I remember that uh, the only thing I can remember from that is uh, Kurt Schilling gave me all kinds of grief, like serious grief. You know, talking, listing off in front of all the reporters to me, saying all the you know guys that have had their jerseys retired, guys in the Hall of Fame, and who do we have throughout the first pitch? Luke Blanking Perry, <laughs> and uh, you know, I just looked at him, just like. Come on, man. I'm just trying to promote the team here. You know? <laughs> well, we've mixed it up over the years. Yeah, certainly there are the years we have the, uh, you know, ex-ball player, uh, you know, a Hall of Famer. Uh, we've had, you know, stars. And sometimes we mix well, we in had, celebrities. We Questlove throughout the first pitch yeah. to Bryce Harper in 2019. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's I think it's cool that we mix it up, that it's not always an, an, an ex-player. This year, uh, it's a, a patient from the Moors, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, heart which transplant. Is great. yeah, 11 heart year old heart transplant. 11-year-old heart transplant. God bless her. Yeah. Oh, so, so. That'll be a uh, cool moment. Yeah. And the, the other thing with, with opening day is that, you know, we I think we've done some great traditions here. Unfortunately, one of the traditions that we, or several of the promotion traditions we have, aren't able to do it this year. Leapfrogs have mm. become a staple. You know, that's really kind of our, instead of doing Kite Man, Cannon Man, Rocket Man, we've had the U.S. Navy Leapfrogs, which is always spectacular. Now, we've had some wind issues, I know, recently. So, um, but uh, hopefully we can resume that next year. Uh, one of the traditions, Dan Baker, it's his 50th opening day. Awesome. How about that? He's back. Uh, but Kane Callis has become a, a tradition for us yep. recently where he's been doing the national anthem, and what a voice he has. Uh, we have to get him on the podcast at some yeah, point. Yeah, we should. Uh, but Kane is doing his uh, national anthem today from his dad's statue, which is always awesome. Yeah, we've done that a couple times. I like it. That's becoming a tradition, and that's I love that tradition. You know, the, uh, giant, the giant flag, which we're not doing this year. No, we're not doing this year. Because of, you know, we got a spacing and COVID issues, but that's, yeah. I'm sure that'll resume when we get back to normal. It's spacing, it's COVID issues, and the problem is, John, we, uh, because of um, the, the, the virus, uh, people allowed on the field. Uh, they, they're really keeping it clear, uh, really for the safety of the players. Right. Um, and so that's the issue. I know the Fanatic will be on the field this year, which is great. I'll uh, be on the field pregame. And then I uh, won't be doing as much on the field in during the game because he, he can't have his friends, the Galapagos gang. He can't have dance groups down there. So there are a bunch of things he can't do. So what we've done, we've built a huge dance floor for the Fanatic out in Ashburn Alley. Uh, it's in that uh, uh, area right behind section 148 that overlooks the ball, you know, the ballpark. Um, so the Fanatic uh, every night is going to be dancing with frontline uh, heroes. Jay. Every night? Yes. Great. What a great tribute. It, it is a great tribute. And as you know, uh, what happened was we had this uh, contest where people nominated frontline heroes in the community. We had over 500 nominations. To be on the banners. To be on the banners. So the top 41, you know, top 41, they're all the tops, all 500 nominations we got. But uh, they selected 41 uh, people so that now have their banners hanging outside of Citizens Bank Park, which is awesome. But we thought, man, we still have 450 or so uh, people. So we're going to uh, uh, surprise a lot of these folks. Great. are going to get phone calls and maybe visits from the Fanatic. That, well, they uh, just blew the surprise. I know. Well, they don't know it's coming. They don't know. It's coming. That's sponsored by Toyota too. This whole uh, frontline hero yep. uh, thing is sponsored by Toyota, and we really appreciate them. They've been by our side uh, throughout this whole thing, so uh, throughout this whole year. So uh, it's going to be a great year, John. And one other thing too, um, Joe Girardi. You know, I was, I just love Joe Girardi, John. And I mean, uh, he's getting finally his real first opening day uh, in front of Philly fans. 
uh, this year. You know, it must have been such a weird year for him last year to come. You imagine the Phillies, you hear all about how great a sports town it is and how the place hops, you know, and, and there were no fans last year. So I'm, I really um, – uh, really am happy for him. I think he's going to have a great year, first of all, but to be able to see Philly fans at their best, it's going to be great. And what a great spokesperson for the team. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. Like just, he, yeah. he personifies already, to mm. me, Philadelphia. You know yep. what I mean? He's from Chicago, and you kind of associate him with New York before he came here. And he's done such a great job, uh, you know, along with others like Bryce Harper, who, you know, it's hard to come into Philadelphia, especially with that prominent of a role, and embrace or have the city embrace you. Mm. And in that short time, both those guys, the city really has them because they get it. They get the city. They get the, the mentality of Philadelphia, which is a unique mentality. It's not for everybody. And they just they, they personify it, and they embody it, and they, and they embrace it. Well, totally agree. And before we get to our final little surprise at the end, i got to ask you, since it's the first day, how do you like our Phillies this year, Johnny? Talk to me. Well, I've been actually been – today's uh, been fairly uh, – pretty busy day. I've been on a lot of radio shows and usually I'm talking about just uh, what's happening going on around the ballpark, but obviously they asked me about the team. And I got to say, I, I'm really excited. This, this is going to be a really tough division. Obviously, uh, the Mets have Lindor and they've got all kinds of, you know, they made some acquisitions and they're going to be tough. The Braves are always good. I, I can't wait to the time when they start, mm -hmm. you know, being at the bottom of the standings. The Nationals had the, had the hangover last year. Uh, and they still have a good team. Marlins are our nemesis. Hope we can end that this year. But if you look at our team, you have to say we totally improved. Uh, you know, we have a lot of guys coming into their prime. You got Alec Boehm who got his rookie season out of the way. We know what he's, you know, going to do. So hopefully he's going to get bigger and better. McCutcheon is probably our oldest guy, but he's but he's now rebounded from his injury. Um, we have, you know, we have two guys you could say, co-aces, right, at the top of the uh, – yep. Eflin pitched like an ace last year. Yep. And then I like the back end of the rotation where you've got Matt Moore, who's coming off a great season in uh, Japan, hopefully, he, and he's a lefty. We, we haven't had a lefty in a while in the rotation. So, And then you have an innings eater of Chase Anderson. But I think the biggest improvement will be the bullpen, obviously. Uh, having Archie Bradley and Alvarado and um, um, Sam uh, – Coonrod. Uh, Coonrod, yep. And you've got uh, some other guys, you know, back there. Hopefully Brogdon can take that next step mm -hmm. up. Um, and, you know, so I think the bullpen will be, even if it's average. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> just going to make our If we were average last better. year, right, we, we would, would have been in the playoffs. Right. So, you know, that it has a, it has the ability to be a, a strong bullpen. Um, you know, I just, I, I guess I worry a little bit about our defense and our depth, but mm. uh, every team does, yep. uh, except for the Dodgers. And you just got to stay healthy. So I, I, I'm expecting good things out of this year. And I know it's a tough division, but I think we're combating that with this team we have, at, which is a veteran team. You know, real, but not, a too veteran, veteran. Not, not too veteran. A lot of them coming into their prime. Great leadership. Um, and just the vibe out of camp, John, was, is so good. I was thankful to be part of it down there for five weeks. Uh, this group, and, and you know what it was, uh, and I think was key, when we brought back JT and DD uh, for the morale of this team, yeah. I, I, you know, before the 93 season, uh, we signed Dutch to his long-term deal. He got his money, you know, after all those years of the injuries, and, and 
that was huge for that clubhouse, you know, and we went on and won the division. Uh, I think the signing and bringing JT back and DD back. And DD being, a, both of those guys yeah. being a really strong leaders in the clubhouse. Absolutely. They, and they love him. They love and both Harper, him. McCutcheon, yep, and, you know, so, and it's, perfect environment for a guy like Alex Bohm to come up and everybody's not waiting for Alex Bohm to right. save you know the team you know he can grow at his pace and, and, and uh, then you bring in a strong personality yep. a great personality especially for the media uh Archie Bradley yes you know who's a guy yeah. who's been been around in the league for a long time and he, he brings that kind of you know, strong presence to the bullpen, which is great. Yeah, high energy, positive guy. And then even Kinsler, you know, a guy who's been around the block, um, journeyman, but also, like, he's got some nastiness to him, which, uh, you know, I think is what that bullpen needs, too. So I think they're just going to – And he, Alvarado, called, he called out our boy Ricky Bowe. Yeah, he did. Last year, right? Yes, when yeah. Ricky which made a, made a uh, statement – uh, bottom feeders, Bottom right? feeders. Right. He had the and T-shirts then, made. And he got him on a T-shirt, the Marlins, and, you know. Uh, They're the kind of personalities, I think, that we needed, certainly, sure. in, the, in that bullpen and, and just in that clubhouse. So uh, I'm very excited. I see us. I don't know what Vegas is thinking, and I am not a betting man, but I think, like, the over-under is, like, 80 or 81 wins. I don't get that a little bit. I understand the division could be tough, but uh, uh, we're going to be right there, John. I'm confident. Well, I like being the underdogs, and l let them – overlook us john do you remember when we were preparing for this uh podcast i said john do me a favor uh no quiz D don't don't do a quiz this week don't worry about it and you were like what huh well, it's, it's like fine, yeah because it's opening day we have opening day you you're working your tail off right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pinocchio. yeah my nose um just grew uh john yep you have a quiz. I have a quiz for you. Oh, boy. We're f I'm flipping the tables yeah, on I, you, pal. I, I've done a quiz for you, so it's only fair. But I now I'm yeah, – obviously, I didn't prepare. Not that you can prepare for these quizzes. No. And our guests don't get to prepare. It's your life. You've been preparing 55 years for this. But I have a feeling that uh, – <laughs> I don't have a great feeling right now. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I think it, – it's funny. Now, I, you always put the quizzes together. And I wonder, like – when you put a quiz together, do you think ah, this one's too easy or this one's too hard or to he's going to get it? Yeah. Yeah, some I don't know. You some should are more be able for to... comedic effect. Yeah. So yeah. some are easy just for that. Yeah. Well, uh, ho hopefully you have a Match Game 76 contestant in there somewhere. I'd rather not say. All right. Uh, we but go. we're going to find out. How many questions? Uh, it's going to be eight. Okay. You got to get, uh, you're going to get six out of eight. But um, if you get six out of eight, you'll get the new Welcome Home Pandemic uh, Mask. That nice. uh, all employees are getting <laughs> that you, you already have in your hand. <laughs> Thank you. That I'm, that I'm looking <laughs> at right now. <laughs> I'm very generous. Thank you. All right, John, here's your quiz. I'm excited to give this to you. I've always wanted to be a game show host, as you know. Uh, all right, our first question. Which one of – you went to um, the University of Virginia, of course. That's correct. Uh, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know that because John talks incessantly <laughs> about it. Uh, I, I would be wearing my UVA belt, but I'm <laughs> wearing a suit today. Right on. I do have a UVA wallet in my pocket. So you went to UVA. Which one of these people did not attend okay. the University of Virginia? Is it A, actress Tina Fey, B, former U.S. Senator Ted Kennedy, C, Match Game 75 star Brett Summers, or D, Philadelphia basketball legend Don Staley? Well, obviously Don Staley went there. Ted Kennedy went to uh, law school. Uh, if that counts. Oh, he went okay. to UVA, but it was law school. All right. Uh, and then I knew Tina Fey uh, was from Upper Darby and went to UVA. I'm surprised you didn't put Katie Couric in there. I know. Katie uh, was either. the first on the list on Wikipedia. <laughs> right. I, I, I saw Katie Couric on a, at a reunion weekend 
Uh, and nice. this is when Austin, I love Katie. This Karen, is when Austin so. Powers was big when uh, the whole movie when it first came out, and she had the fake uh, Austin Powers teeth, and she started running around the field. I'm sure she had a <laughs> really. Couple, she was overserved, <laughs> and she kept going up to everybody. Do I make you horny, baby? Uh, really? Wearing the fake teeth, yes. Wow. Now she was. She would have graduated before, before you. Yes, before yeah. Me, yep. Yeah. But uh, uh, so, so the answer is uh, Brett Summers. Brett Summers <laughs> is correct. Hey, and since I threw Tina Fey, and you're dropping the name of uh, seeing um, Katie, Katie Couric, uh, I don't know if I ever told the story. I was with the fanatic. We were filming um, 30 Rock. Went up to New York. The studio's up there. Silver Cup, I think, studios in New York. And uh, get up there really early. I'm with the Fanatic in the dressing room. And um, there's a knock on the door. This is like 7 in the morning. Knock on the door. Open up the door. And it's Tina Fey. Wow. And she goes, hi. Uh, you know, you're with the Fanatic? Yes. And she goes, oh, we're, we're getting ready to do our like our morning table read, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to take you to the table read. So they could have, they could have sent an intern right, or somebody. Right. They sent she Tina learned Fey. She to meet the fanatic. Yeah. So it was really cool. I got a chance to talk to her and, uh, she was really cool. Was she funny? Uh, and we were very low key. It, and it was, I, Alec Baldwin was like asleep at the table, right. you know, and then it was cool when it was time to shoot. It really was cool. Then all the lights are on and it, it was a big scene cause they had a lot of people in it and you then Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin walk in the door and they look like before they were like dressed, you right. know, they weren't ready for the camera by any stretch. And then when they walked in, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, there they are. That's Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin. That's it was cool. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. All right. So we're one, for, we're, one for one. We're name dropping. One for one. Uh, you also went to the Haverford School. Yes, I did. Yeah. So uh, you graduated. Which one of these did not attend the Haverford School? I'm sure you get this. <laughs> <laughs> Actor Bradley Whitford. Uh, B, former NFL Films President Steve Sable. Okay. C, former Philadelphia City Councilman Thatcher Longstreth. Or D, renowned artist Ellen Hubrig. Uh, well, Ellen Hubrig, I think, is related to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's an all-boys school. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm going with Ellen Hubrig. Uh, D. I totally forgot it was an all-boys school. <laughs> You certainly were going to get that one. Yes. Uh, residing in Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee, my sister, Ellen Hubrick. You did say the general manager of the uh, Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders, Mike Mayock. Oh, Mike Mayock was a Haverford yes. guy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, now I want to get my shout out to two my sister. Two. Ellen's been with this podcast since we started. She hasn't missed an episode. So that's for you, Elle. Uh All right. Number three. What was the first... You're a big music fan. We've established yes, that I on know. this podcast. Right, now I'm starting to get worried. Good. What was the first year of the Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival Ooh. in Manchester, Tennessee? Ooh, I the went there. first year. Was it 2000, 2002, 2003, or 2004? Wow. Well, I went there... Let's see. Oh, that is, I should be uh, John is a big jam band guy, and uh, this music festival started out as a jam band festival. It still is, right? But they bring in other acts. So I went there in 2003. Um, I went there. In, no, I went there in 2004. Sorry. So it's either A, 2000, B, 2002, C, 2003, or D, 2004. Yeah, I went there in 2004, and it wasn't the first one. It's great. Bonnaroo was awesome. Um, I'm going to say they're probably a couple of years into it. So I'm going to say 2002. 2002 is correct. There you go. Nice job, John. Oh, three yeah, for three. Good deduction there. I thought you were going to get that one too. Yeah, I had to make the choice between Bob Dylan 
and uh, Government Mule. And you know how much we love Warren Haynes. Yeah. And I had to make the I, I chose Government Mule because they're playing the same time because I figured that Bob Dylan in a big festival, he's either really bad or really good. Correct. And I assumed he's, he's just mailing it in, and I was right. I made the right decision. We both saw Bob Dylan at the Electric Factory, which was outstanding. Yep. And then, but of course, I did see Bob Dylan back in like the 80s at JFK, and it was not outstanding. <laughs> so at JFK. Three for three. All right. And uh, all right. So here we go. Uh, what I like about you, John, you do know uh, old, you know, new music. You've got the finger on the pulse, but you also know old music. So in 1971, David Geffen started Asylum Records in Los Angeles. Who was the first act he signed? Was it Mama and the Papas, The Birds, Jackson Brown, or Crosby, Stills, Nass and Young? Well, you're really kind of throwing me a curveball because I know how much you love Jackson Brown. And I'm wondering whether you're throwing it out there as a red herring or whether you're really uh, – hmm. Well, I'm going to think that you're uh, – you're going to think I'm not going to say Jackson Brown because you are a Jackson Brown fan. So I, it's just like Princess Bride when the guy's trying to figure out, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> which is a poison cup. I'm going to go Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown is correct. David Geffen was with Atlantic Records, and he was such a fan of uh, Jackson. You know, just he heard this guy. Yep. And uh, he's like, we got to sign him. And Atlantic Records was, like, going to pass. So he's like, I'm going to start my own record label. He started Asylum Records, and it was all around yep. uh, the music of Jackson Brown. And, by the way, congratulations to Jackson Brown. John, how long have I told you that Late for the Sky is the greatest album ever made by any uh, one human being? Uh, just last week. The Library of Congress, um, really? National Register of Recordings, the whole album, Late for the Sky, is now part of the Library and of Congress. I listened Congress. to that Congress. album on, on my drive home from yes, spring training did. last year. And it depressed the heck out of you, so yes. you probably wound up putting on like Little <laughs> Feet or else. something fun after that. Four All right. for four. Four for four. You're doing good, John. Number five, big uh, sports guy. You like playing sports. You played a lot of lacrosse as a kid. Mm-hmm. and um, I did. Yeah, you're a lacrosse guy. Uh, yeah, I'm getting a little worried here. Oh. So, who is the leading goal scorer in Division One men's lacrosse history? Oh, boy. With 212 goals. Can I, can I, can I, okay, I think I might have a guess, but get it. All right, well, I, I'll give you my, A. My guess is going to be, my, right now I'm initially thinking Gary Gate, but again. A, Max Quinzani from Duke. Okay. B, Justin Guterding from Duke. Okay. C, Connor Fields from Albany. Or D, Dellen Malloy from Brown University. Wait, 212 goals in all there. All time? All time. This is the all-time leading goal scorer? Yes. So, I'm sorry. So, so say him again. Max Quinzani from Duke. Justin Guterding from Duke. Connor Field from Albany. Or Dylan Malloy from Brown. Oh, jeez. I have no idea. I'm mm. going uh, to say Dylan Malloy from Brown. No, that's incorrect. He was in, He's in the top uh, five, but uh, Justin Gooderding okay. has 212 lifetime goals wow. for Duke. You stumped me. Yeah, so there it is. You I didn't get that one. Said, well, Gary Gates a midfielder, so I guess I wouldn't forget. Yeah, so there it is. All right. Uh, you also are a huge Philadelphia sports fan, John. <clears throat> like me. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, I, should, I, I should be looking for the cough button. Um, you're a big fan of the Broad Street Bullies, and one of your claims to fame, for good reason, it's one of the greatest things you've ever done, is you used to play hockey with the with, Broad Street with, well, Bullies. Well, with the Flyers alumni, yeah. Flyers alumni. How cool is that? I'm very jealous of you. So, here's your question. Who wore number 18 for the 1973-1974 Stanley Cup Flyers team? Okay. A, Simone Nolay. B, Oris Kinderchuk. C, Terry Crisp. Or D, Ross Lonsbury. 
Oh, gosh. You got, you, uh, I should know this. Yeah. You should know every number on that team. I know. I, but you, you, Think you, about it. You, so if you, you know you, some of the other others. You did some perfect ones because they're right in that. Yeah, if I said Reggie Leach, you'd right, know, okay, 27. 27 right. Right. <laughs> of course, you do the 18. Yeah, so I is say it Simone Nole, Oris Kinderchuk, Tari Crisp, or Ross Lonsbury? I think it was Ross Lonsbury, but I could be uh, Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Ross Lonsbury is correct. There you go. Nice. Tari Crisp was 15, Oris yeah. Kinderchuk 26, Simone Nole was 17. 17, yeah. And I didn't have to look that up, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nice work. All right. Um, <laughs> two more? Uh, two more. You're doing good, pal. Uh, you, like, you like a lot of movies. But the 1977 classic Slapshot is probably one of your favorite movies of all time. Love it. Uh, the Hanson brothers yep. were fictional characters based on what real-life brothers who actually played in the minor leagues in the mid-'70s? <sighs> now, you oh. actually, for one of our retro nights, dressed as one of I the Hanson brothers. So I, I thought you were definitely going to get this, but here we go. Well, I should be able to get it. Uh, were they the Carlson brothers, A, B, the Dowd brothers, C, the Sedgwick brothers, or D, the Jonas brothers? The, <laughs> yeah, Carlson brothers. It's the yeah. Carlson brothers I, is I correct. I think it was Steve Carlson for, uh, well, Steve <laughs> Hansen. Well, here's this, John. I never knew this. Two of the brothers played the NHL. that played the parts of the uh, uh, the Hansen brothers were two of the Carlson yeah. Guys. The real brothers. Yeah. And, and they then, played in the NHL. And Jack Carlson, so they were going to have the three brothers yeah. playing the Hanson brothers. And one brothers. couldn't do it because I think he, he was called up by the Edmonton yes. Oilers just before they started shooting. So they used uh, a guy who was on the team, the Johnstown Jets team, the real-life team. Dave Hanson was right. his name. That, that, awesome. That that scene when they first get on the ice, because <laughs> yeah. there's such a buildup. When they first get on the ice and that – Three minutes of chaos <laughs> is, to me, the greatest three minutes of, of movie, of, of movie ever, history. Uh, totally agree Absolutely with you. Absolutely hilarious. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Totally. All right, John. This for your last one. you got to get this for the uh, oh, the I'm, new uh, pandemic. I thought mask. I had to get six out of eight. I've only lost, missed one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. you got to get seven out. <laughs> seven and, out of eight. Math and geography were never <laughs> the fanatics' no. forte. No. Uh, all right, John. Uh, we're trying to cover your whole life here. You are also known for telling old, really bad jokes, Terrible that, jokes. that you s have stolen from Mage other people. McDonald's. Yeah, from everybody. <laughs> you steal from everybody. Yes. Uh, so here we go. Your last question. Who came up with the one-liner, take my wife, please, take my wife? <laughs> Who came up with that line? Right. Is it A, Merle, Mil Milton Burl, B, George Burns, C, Henny Youngman, or D, Mage McDonald? Well... Hold on, Mage got it from somebody, so I don't think the answer is Mage. But Mage, I think, li liked to quote Henny Youngman, so I'm assuming it's Henny Youngman. Henny Youngman is correct. Did he really? Did he oh, Mage, mention? Oh, oh yeah, Mage Henny? would steal from Henny Youngman, but he also stole from, I shouldn't Henny? say stole. I love Mage. Oh, of course. No, of he uh, course. borrowed. Uh, but he also cozy morally, right? And cozy, too. Right. Yeah, so, sure. Like, so whether it was cozy or whether it was Henny Youngman, you know, Mage. But Mage was the best deliverer of jokes. He and stories, just the best. That, and you know what? I think of Mage on opening day because yeah. Mage was a, uh, a former coach in the Wiz Kids and was basically you know with us for a long time. And I just remember opening day, he'd get all dressed up in his suit. He, he was always in a suit, but he'd have his all of his rings, right? He had the little Jeff hat and uh, love that guy. Yeah, well, God bless Mage and uh, all the people who have come uh, before us, John. Uh, it's a great tradition, opening day. I'm fired up. This this pod doing this today was a great idea. It was on your part because I was like, opening day? What are we, we're running around. We're crazy. But I'm glad we did it. I'm fired up. 
Uh, it's going to be a great year, John. And um, Make sure the Fanatic doesn't streak on opening day. Uh, he's going to keep his clothes on. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> All right, John, that's it. I guess that's a wrap for the podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Go Phillies. It's going to be a great 2021, and we will see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.